It is an unfortunate fact that the elderly are taken advantage of every day. While the estate planning and government assistance laws are quite complex and ever-changing, how do you keep track of them all? Through elder law attorney Michael Cohen. He's there for you to answer any of your planning questions in a way that you and your loved ones will easily understand. Mike has devoted his entire career to dutifully informing and protecting our parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles, anyone in need. Join us now to learn more about estate planning essentials with Michael Cohen and co-host Don Crawford Jr. Here now are Michael and Don. And I am Don Crawford, Jr., the general manager of KAAM Radio and the co-host of this program, which is the State Planning Essentials Program. And I'm sitting with my co-host, the co-host, or actually the host of the program, Michael G. Cohen. Hello, Michael. You know my middle initials are is B, so I'm uh-huh. just uh, curious what the G stands for. And by the way, I hope you had a happy Thanksgiving. Well, thank you. And that's what the G stands for, because... Every day of the year is a gift, and every day should be full of gratitude around this Thanksgiving season or this holiday season, if you include Hanukkah and Christmas, which you should. And um, I know how grateful you are for all the things that you've been blessed with, and I am too. I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for Jennifer, the producer of this fine program, and I'm grateful for the many years we've been able to do this program and allow the listeners to eavesdrop on what we're talking about, because I have learned a lot, Michael, and I know they have too. I hope so, and I hope that um, uh, all benefit in any way, shape, manner, or form. If it helps somebody's life in any way, then then I feel good about it. Good. Well, that's good. And G, good. Another G word. The one thing I don't feel good about, Michael, typically, and I know you don't either, is when people do things themselves, independent of others, whether it's God or family or spouse or friends or experts. And today's program wants to address that. Uh, We know it's the holidays now, and people are going to be getting together with family and discussing assets and estate plans regarding themselves, their parents. And sometimes people don't do that, and they just are going to be independent, do things themselves, and then they create problems, if not havoc, down the road. And you wanted to address that today. Yeah, it was because I had a meeting this last week that illustrated that. uh, I thought I'd kind of share kind of an idea that DIY attitude, uh, for whatever reason, is it maybe because of what we see on TV or is it maybe because um, just the way things are today and people are trying to make it easier to do it yourself. Uh, However, unfortunately, a lot of times that creates problems, as you just mentioned. So I'm going to kind of tell you a story of uh, an actual story and about the problems that it created. Um, So in this case, the parent is in a nursing home, and they were on Medicaid. Uh, now, for Medicaid, their biggest asset they have is their homestead. And th- what the government rules are, uh, and why do people get on Medicaid, so that the government will help subsidize the cost of care. In this case, the person was single, so they give up their income, let's say Social Security, and the government pays the balance. So. For example, if um, the Social Security income was $1,500 a month, which is not unusual, um, and the cost of care was uh, $6,500 a month, which is actually low, 
but then there will be a $5,000 a month savings. So a lot of times people want to uh, have the government help pay for care costs if they don't have either adequate assets or income or long-term care insurance. All right, so in this case, they didn't, and the home didn't count. However, the state has a right to make to go after the home for reimbursement of paying that however many thousands of dollars a month after the person dies to the extent that they paid out benefits. So you get a letter from the government after the person dies that says, pay us back, and we're going to go after, in this case, the home. Usually the home is the biggest asset that doesn't count. Assuming that if you're married, the home doesn't have, it could be unlimited in value, uh, and it wouldn't count as a resource. Or if you're single, then the uh, the value of the home, uh, the equity, at least in 2021, has to be below 603000 and most people's uh, home is less than 603000 All right. So, however, the state only go, at least in Texas, and the laws are different from state to state. So if you're listening in a different state uh, or if you're visiting from another state for because of the Thanksgiving holiday or whatever, uh, that you would should talk with somebody in your own state if this is an issue. But it's not really – this is not really the story about – Medicaid, and it's not really the story about some of the other issues that we're going to talk about uh, today. Uh, the issue is the concern about when you do things yourself, that it could create more problems than you realize, and most people think that something simple, that they could do it. And, you know, that's the way we think today. Right. All right, well, in Texas, they go after the home to the extent that Medicaid benefits have been advanced. However, there are a couple exceptions to the rules, and so there's a type of deed that you could have that says upon death uh, that it could go to whomever, usually kids or a kid. Um, there's actually a couple types of deeds. Uh, one's a uh, well, actually three types of deeds. One's a life estate deed. One's an enhanced life estate deed, a ladybird deed, and one is a transfer on death deed. Each have their own pros and cons. Um, in this case, the uh, after dad got on Medicaid, uh, the kids realized that the state would have the right to make a claim against the home. They got him on Medicaid a couple years ago. And so they had dad sign a life estate deed that says, all right, it goes to kid after dad dies. Dad did sign the deed, although his handwriting was shaky. However, I don't know where they got this form, but it wasn't really, it was kind of a halfway between a, a life estate deed and an enhanced, life, an enhanced life estate deed. Now, I guess I should tell you the difference. A, an enhan- a regular life estate deed is I have the right to be in my, have, use and occupy my home for life. An enhanced life estate deed basically says, not only do I have a right to occupy my home for life and use my property for my life, but I have the right to sell, lease, mortgage, and even change my mind on who the beneficiary, the grantee, would be. All right, so that makes it enhanced if you have this extra language. where does Why does that make a difference? Well, Medicaid has a five-year look-back. 
if you just do, in other words, they say, if you make a transfer within five years or perhaps even after you're eligible for Medicaid, there could be a transfer penalty. So in this case, they did it after dad had applied, but it wasn't really an enhanced life estate deed. It was somewhat like one, and I think it may be okay. Now dad has died, and the state's going after the home. All right, so what would be the first problem here? Well, if it's not really an enhanced life estate deed, if it's a regular life estate deed, then it could be considered a transfer penalty. In other words, you gave away a portion of the property to the kid now. Well, Medicaid says we think you did that on purpose. So that could be a transfer penalty. And when you every year you're supposed to get recertified. When you get recertified, um, you're supposed to tell them, and actually even with any kind of transactions that's happened last year, so they ask you, have you made any transfers in the last five years? Their response, or, or yeah, that's that's just like on an application, that's what's asked. And their response was no. And they did not tell the state during the uh, year about the transfer, nor did they show any kind of property tax statement showing that there had been a change. Nor, And when you do an application, there's a part at the bottom that says, if you don't tell us the truth, if yet you're supposed to report within 10 days of any changes. If you don't do, it's a criminal act. So it could be argued, number one, they didn't tell them, they didn't show a property tax statement. It could be argued that they not only should have been penalized, but they could committed a, a crime of fraud. They did it themselves, or didn't do it themselves. <laughs> they didn't report, and they did the deed, and they didn't know exactly what they had. They just wanted to do it themselves. All right, so problem number one is it could have been, I don't think that the state would pursue a criminal act, and how do you respond to the state if they did? They said, well, gee, I thought they were dad was in total control of the asset, so it wasn't really a transfer. It was a, a transfer subject to divestment. See, a, a, a ladybird deed, which is the same thing as the enhanced life estate deed, is a transfer subject to divestment. So it's transferred, but you really don't have the grantee, the one who's the beneficiary, the kid, would not get the property until dad dies. And that dad could have changed his mind. It could go to a different kid. So problem number one, they, did the, they didn't have the exact language that you probably needed, which could have created a transfer penalty, which could have created a, a criminal act. And, um, and, so, and now you have to say to the state, all right, well, here's the deed. Uh, let's have you look at it. Um, you know, again, also when you do a application or even a recertification every year, like I said, they want to see if things have changed if there's still eligibility for the government to pay for that cost of care. Well, normally when we do recertifications, we show them a copy of the property tax statement. So how would that be different if it had dad's name before as the owner and it's his homestead to show it's exempt? If it's a, uh, this would say LE, the property tax statement would have LE after dad's name, which stands for life estate. That would give the state warning even if the person had screwed up, 
and didn't say that there was a change, at least if they had given the property tax statement, that would have said, well, I've told you. But they didn't do that either. So that they, the first mistake is they didn't use the, they did it themselves and have a, uh, a uh, proper deed. Number two, it could have resulted in a transfer penalty, which could result in fraud, which could result in a criminal act, could be a criminal act. Now, and, uh, and then they didn't do the proper reporting. All right. So the next problem is that, so let's say that you got the, uh, you said state, look, there was really intention that it was all bad. And so now it's going by deed at death and not by will or intestacy. See, if your property goes by will or if you have no will at all, then the state has a right to make a claim against the property after death. So they have the right idea of having a life estate deed, so it goes by deed at death and not by will or intestacy without a will. So it could avoid a successful claim by the state. But then we got another issue. If you look at the deed, you'll see that the handwriting is shaky. Well, what's the problem with that? Well, a lot of title companies will assume that if the handwriting is shaky, the person who signed the deed lacked mental capacity. So if they lacked mental capacity, they couldn't sign the deed. You have to know what you're signing. So so then you're gonna if they do say that, either you're gonna have to find a title company that would, or you're gonna have to have a doctor that you know, at the time that he did the sign the deed, say that while he was in the nursing home, he had enough mental capacity to execute to sign the deed. Now, it doesn't mean that you're in, if you're in a nursing home that you don't always have mental capacity or anything like that. But, you know, a lot of times when you do a Medicaid application, they look at your medical records and they determine if the person has enough of a medical need. And a lot of times it is does go into cognitive issues. So was there enough proof that the person had capacity when they signed it? Sometimes people use a power of attorney. But if you use a power of attorney to sign a Lady Bird deed, really should have a few different things in there, not just real estate transactions. You should have in the financial power of attorney a complete gifting power. And usually, at least when we do a power of attorney, we even add the language that they could do a ladybird deed uh, for yourself. And there would be self-dealing. So let's say that the child uh, had deeded the property. They did the ladybird deed or life estate deed to themselves. A lot of title companies would disregard that. Say that's self-dealing. If you acted as an agent just to transfer to yourself, that's considered self-dealing. And also, by the way, you have to have the original power of attorney recorded with the county clerk. We had somebody earlier this year that said, oh, yeah, we, I, I'm going to have this deed to myself. And as we said, okay, uh, give us a, the original. See, a photocopy cannot re be recorded with the county clerk. Uh, and you have to be careful on the language that you put uh, in the Lady Bird deed. So if you don't say... Um, uh, you know, sign the uh, the, de the deed saying so-and-so as agent for parent under power of attorney or something like that. And you have to put that in the uh, acknowledgement that the notary signs as well. If you don't send the original, if it doesn't uh, have that proper acknowledgement, the county clerk will not record it.
and then there would be no authority. So it wouldn't be a matter of public record. So then you might have to say, well, what happens if you screw up and and uh, the Lady Bird deed or the life estate deed isn't any good? Well, I suppose you could try to do an affidavit of heirship, but if you do, you know, I told you that if it goes by will or intestacy without a will at all. So if you try to probate a will, the state has a right to make a claim against it. Or if you go by laws of intestacy, the state has a right to make it to go after it too. So when they send their letter of withdrawal, when we apply for, uh, you know, have saying, hey, state, uh, you don't have a successful claim because we did this certain type of deed, then uh, you ask for a letter of withdrawal. And when they send out the letter of withdrawal, they say, hey, if you probate the will or if you do an affidavit of heirship which says that the property goes to the heirs as a matter of law, we have all bets off. We have a right to go against the property to get repaid for the benefits advanced. So you got to be careful. So when they did it themselves, they put themselves at risk on several different categories. So, Michael, uh, I'm sitting here bug-eyed, horrified by everything you have explained so far and all the possibilities of when people do it themselves. And it's clear they never should, um, in my mind, based on what you've taught us over the five or ten years you've been on the radio station and uh, the decades that you've been practicing. And for anybody who's listening to this program right now, this is why you need to attend Michael's next workshop to ask about your individual circumstances, because you may be saying to yourself or may say out loud, yeah, but, well, what if? Well, my circumstances are different, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm pretty sure they're not. But And Michael can address and refute those if he needs to at the workshop or in the private vision meeting after you attend the workshop. We want you to attend that regardless because you'll learn so much from what the others ask. And, of course, if you ask a question about your circumstances. And that next workshop is Tuesday, November the 30th at 1 o'clock. And, Michael, it's online. You don't have to attend in person. But tell them, after all these years, what happens at those workshops. Yeah, uh, we've been doing them for nine years. Boy, time flies when you're having fun. Yeah, really. Um, <laughs> we just ask people what you want to know. And during this two-hour free estate planning essentials workshop, we see what people ask. And every workshop's different because we never know what people are going to ask. And you'll learn something from what the questions are from others. And of course, we will have a presentation as well, so that it gives you some other basics about estate planning that may be of interest. And you know, a lot of times people ask about wills or trust or powers of attorney. Sometimes they'll ask about ladybird deeds. They'll ask about Medicaid. They could ask about veterans benefits that we never know. They could be asking what's happened uh, in Congress this past month. You know, so it, you never know and how that's going to affect you. And so anyway, uh, so we see what the questions are. We proceed to answer those questions. Uh, if you do go to the free estate planning essentials workshop, then we also offer another hour free personally where I meet with you, either uh, usually in person, uh, but sometimes it's uh, virtually, uh, to see what your own individual situation is and see if there, if I can answer whatever additional questions you may have that were possibly not uh, discussed at the workshop, maybe you want to be more private, whatever the case may be. Uh, and so it, so what we're offering is basically three free hours of legal education to answer your questions without any obligation. 
to go to that free estate planning essentials workshop, all you have to do is call 214-720-0102. That's 214-720-0102 or sign up online at DallasElderLawyer.com. That's DallasElderLawyer.com. And I think you're going to enjoy it. Again, it's no obligation, and I think you're going to learn an awful lot. No doubt about it. Uh, Many have. Uh, Michael, with about five minutes left or so, uh, I have a a quick question for you. Every program is almost always the first half you address a particular issue. I listen attentively um, as uh, someone who always needs estate planning like everybody does, as as well as the the radio radio station manager. So my response to all that is, okay, I'll have an online service like LegalZoom do it. What's wrong with that, Michael? Well, you really don't know what you're, you know, a lot of times there's going to be things that are maybe valid in 50 states, but they don't address some of the particular issues of the state. And so there's mm-hmm. no legal counseling. Does it address, maybe you have a child that's a spendthrift or has creditor issues or has an addiction where you don't trust their spouse or they're disabled or they're, one, sp- one child has died and you have a grandchild that's too young or if they're, the, it doesn't go through that. And also, if you have uh, a lot of times it may say executor. Okay, I point so-and-so as executor, but if you don't have it, the executor is independent without court supervision. It may cost more for probate. Or if the a lot of times people make mistakes, we see that people do wills and they didn't sign something in the proper place or a witness or a notary didn't do things properly, or they had one sign at one time and somebody else signed at another time, and they just don't know. So it's not that they uh, were intentionally trying to shoot themselves in the foot, but a lot of times they do. And, uh, you know, sometimes, with all due respect, uh, people are penny-wise and pound-foolish. Right. I understand that. So with, with about the few minutes left, Michael, what are the do's and don'ts then when it comes to all of these issues? Oh, well, I think that quite frankly, you know, I could tell you that if there's lots of different areas of law and I would not uh, venture to give advice on other areas of law because it's not my specialty. So, Here I am as an attorney saying I wouldn't even give legal advice on different areas of law. But here you have individuals that say, well, not only do I don't have areas of different law, but I'm not even licensed to practice law, and I'm going to just do it myself. And then what ends up happening is it may have saved you at the beginning, but ends up costing you a lot more at the end and could create un thought of situations creating havoc for you at a later time. Usually we would like to say we want to make it simple. We want to protect our li- not only ourselves during our life, if we become disabled or we die, but we also want to protect our family. Right. It's that holiday time of year, and really we, want, we tell people we have all these family gatherings and we want to tell people we love them. Well, do something about it and don't take a risk. Whether it's with us or anybody else, I'm just telling people, please, a lot of times, at least get the advice of somebody who is in that area, whatever it may be. You don't go to a podiatrist for heart surgery. You don't, and and in this case, you should go to, if you had a doctor, you should go to a doctor and not to do the surgery yourself. And I think here it's no different. 
you ha- there's a reason for licensing, and there's a lot of times of counseling that needs to be going along besides just preparing documents. So I, I think that that's the lesson that I should teach here. Doing it yourself could create havoc on your life. Please do take care of your family and yourself uh, the way you would like. You've always called it life or death insurance. That's what this is, and I see the same thing applied to Michael Cohen and his services, why he's my attorney. He should be yours. The first step in that direction is to attend his next workshop, which is Tuesday, November the 30th at 1 o'clock, and just simply sign up for that free online workshop where you never have to uh, leave the house in order to enjoy it. Dial 214-720-0102, or go to DallasElderLawyer.com, Dallas Elder lawyer.com for his next estate planning essentials workshop. Michael Cohen, thank you, sir. Thank you, and happy holidays to all. The record shows I took the blows and did it A leading estate planner practicing law for decades in Dallas, Texas, Michael Cohen is ready to educate you about the Texas and federal laws. The next step to that end is to attend his next workshop by going to his website, which is DallasElderLawyer.com. That's DallasElderLawyer.com and sign up for that free estate planning essentials workshop. Or you can also call him by dialing 214-720-0102. That's 214-720-0102. A talk show host on KAAM for eight years now, Michael Cohen is the person you want to evaluate what could currently be a rather insufficient estate plan. Make certain that is not the case and that it is created and completed your way by signing up for his next free workshop today.